everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I'm sitting here once again with Katie Silcox. Katie is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Healthy, Happy, Sexy, Ayurveda Wisdom for the Modern Woman. She is a nationally recognized yoga teacher. She hosts the podcast called Spirit Sessions, Find Your True Spiritual Home. She's the founder of the Shakti School, which is a premier online certification school for women-centered holistic wellness. She holds a master's degree in Ayurveda medicine and has recently published her second book, which we'll be diving into today, titled Glowworthy, Practices for Awakening Your Inner Light and Loving Yourself as You Are, Broken, Beautiful, and Sacred. Welcome, Katie, back to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to be talking with you again. I feel like I reference our first conversation that we had earlier in 2023 about Ayurveda. I reference it in my mind as I'm like thinking about, uh, especially like the aesthetics of my office. I know that's something we talked about in terms of like me being more pitta and kapha and kind of just being aware of what feels balancing to me. And so creams and greens and light and all of that. So that was a really beneficial conversation for me. And I know for the listeners as well. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in with you today about your new book, Glowworthy. And I'm really curious to start off with, you know, asking you, what was your intention of writing Glowworthy? You know, when I, so I've been telling folks as a way of inspiring, hopefully people to embrace their creative failures <laughs> mm. that Glowworthy is my second book that I've published, but it's actually a third book that I've written. Mm. And I ended up throwing out the second one. And, and that question that you ask is a really important, deep spiritual question for me personally regarding this book. And I think so wonderful to kind of bring into the field for the listeners in terms of what is our intention when we do anything, whether it be starting a business, getting married, getting a degree, any of these things, you know, losing weight, like whatever it is people aspire to do, like to actually pause and feel into why it, it can be a radical act. Mm -hmm. And by throwing out the second book, I realized the intention of the second book was not the one that I wanted to put out into the world. And the intention of this book you know, you can see my face. It's it. This is a book about light. Mm -hmm. This is a book about truth. This is a book about love. This is a book about radical acceptance of the parts of us that we feel the most ashamed about and broken around and embarrassed of. And, and so when I put out this book, I can say, I'm a happy little capitalist. I enjoy making money, but the intention of this book was always that it spark a remembering in people of who they really are. And that if I could add even like a shard of that light remembering, right. Cause we're mm -hmm. not adding anything. It's already there in us. Like then that That's right. would make the book worthy <laughs> of all the time and tears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I love the statement you just said too, of a remembering of what's already there inside of us, that this isn't something that needs to be added. And that's how, like from an IFS perspective, looks at it the same way that 
it's it's not a deficit model. Mm-hmm. It's a constraint release model so mm-hmm. that then we can help relieve any of those constraints that might be blocking access to what we'll be talking about deeper about like this glow and this inner light to be able to access that which is already there. And so I think what you just said about your intention of hopefully putting this out into the world to help someone. Yeah, I always think about it this way. I'm like, even if it's just one person, that's fantastic. Absolutely. You know, that someone is going to read this book and it's going to just be like a light bulb. And it's going to be maybe the opportunity for them to see themselves with more compassion. And like you said, the parts of them that maybe have been shamed or criticized or judged within and externally, they can see themselves as holy and beautiful. So you talk about glow, obviously, a lot in the book. What is the glow? That's funny that you said holy. That was actually the title of the book was holy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's ever heard me on any other podcast, this is I say it every time. It's probably pissing off the publisher, but like, that's the title of the book. And if people read the book, it's so much about that original meaning of the word holy of whole and complete and embracing 360 degrees of the hot little mess that you are and the holy angelic saint that you are and glow worthy became the title because all of these ancient mystical traditions Like if you walk into a a church or a temple or a synagogue or a Buddhist meditation center, you're going to find light, you'll find a candle, you'll find a flame. And it's a living representation of this inner brilliance that emerges when we do this really simple thing that is super hard to do. And that is we hold unconditional, positive, loving regard a gaze of presence and kindness towards ourselves, releasing the way that most of us, if not everyone listening, judge ourselves first and foremost and go to war with ourselves first and foremost. And then that judgment and that warfare gets extrapolated and projected out into the world. Yeah. And so the, the glow, the brilliance, the radiance, the light is like just the natural result of having done that special formula I just mentioned that is definitely not one that I made up right Right. it's a formula (laughs) yeah and I wrote down a couple of quotes uh, next to this question of like what is the glow like from your book and you said it's our inner light our inner light is what makes us glow the glow is in you right now and the real holiness is a place where every part of you is welcome to the spiritual party which I love, and you can feel the endless compassion. And you said, given enough time and space, plus some practical tools, all people are primed to both recognize and receive guidance and comfort from their spiritual source, whatever name they give it. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I read those statements, I was just like, I had my, I had bought a new pack of highlighters actually when I was reading this book, because I was on a plane flying to California when I first cracked it open. And this is just a funny side note story, but the plane ride was so bumpy. (laughs) Like it was turbulent the whole time. They never took 
the seatbelt sign off and they didn't even surf drinks. Like it was that bumpy the entire time. This was from Cincinnati to Atlanta. So luckily it wasn't that long of a flight, but I was highlighting your book. And at one point it was so bumpy. Like the highlighter flew, like flew out of my hand and went to the person behind me and we couldn't find it. So you're like, I might be making meeting my maker, and yeah. therefore I'm glad I'm reading this spiritual ass book. Yes. I found myself laughing because I was like, you know, of course, like parts of me were like and being like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> are we gonna be okay here? And then I was like loving what I was reading. So I had a moment of like sending you gratitude of like, thank you, Katie, for writing this book that has helped me feel grounded in this moment of what could be high anxiety and discomfort. <laughs> So I did go out and I bought a whole new pack of highlighters and uh, yeah, so those were statements that I, that I highlighted that really, again, like stood out to me again, kind of like from an IFS perspective, looking at the glow maybe as what we call self energy that it's always there. Mm -hmm. It's never not been there. Like it's there from birth. It's just that sometimes it can get covered up by what we call like protector parts and based on wounds and stuff that we've experienced in our life and that there are no bad parts. Some might have a negative impact on our life or with others, but they all have a positive intention. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, that every part of you is welcome to the spiritual party. And that is that connection. I feel like what you're saying, and correct me if you don't, it, it is that when you're connecting with that glow, that inner light of compassion, then you can be present with every part of you. I love with that the, love. I love the words you used. Um, we're and we're gonna invite you on to spirit sessions, as you know, because this languaging matters. Like this, your self energy, self capital S, like your soul, who you really are, the part of you that is unchanging, that is with you when you are born, that is with you when you die. When we can connect to that, like I'm thinking of someone in my life right now that's going through a big shift and a big change. And I think this happens a lot to men, for example, when they retire, right? Mm. Or, and women as well, right? When their kids mm-hmm. get in the house or when they retire, there's this huge loss of identity. And we realize, oh my God, how much I've invested my sense of who I am into these roles, whether it be a certain type of mm-hmm. career or, or mother, or for me, like Shakti school's founder, well, who would I be if it ended, you know? And, and I try to actually put myself in those places because if we build our house on those roles, we are setting ourselves up for suffering down river because all of these roles, wife, mother, young, beautiful woman, older lady, that's also beautiful, but our society doesn't tell you that, you know, like, that's all right. of- yeah. All these things, right, are not places to build our spiritual house because it will crumble and then there will be suffering. So best that we learn earlier on, and if you're listening out there and you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, it's never too late, right? But like start young. If you're out there listening, who am I is the deepest spiritual question, right? Because when you start to put your finger on who you are, it disappears. Mm. There is no there there. And that can be kind of terrifying, but yet 
as Buddhism says, when you enter into emptiness, you realize ultimate fullness. And so that really is that self energy that cannot actually be put in a box that mm-hmm. is neither good nor bad, that doesn't have any identity with any of these parts and yet can hold and embrace them all mm-hmm. and hopefully get what we call in the tradition Prajna wisdom, the brilliance of light wisdom that enables you to learn how to utilize all these parts when they're needed and required in their positive life-giving aspects rather than their life degradation aspects, which we see in our world and we see in ourselves that we self-sabotage, that we go against our inner hearts knowing that we set Mm -hmm. up goals that are good for us and yet we don't achieve them. Like, why are we in this inner saboteur? And I think that when we start to tap into that self-energy we start to actually liberate the capacity to parent ourselves and to guide our lives. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you just said. And one thing that just was in the back of my mind, as you were just sharing that was I was listening to another podcast and the person was interviewing someone and they were talking about the importance of diversifying your identity. Mm. And again, as I was, and they talked about a house. Yeah. Like, uh, like a house metaphor of, like you and they weren't talking about again i can just like i just relate everything to an ifs lens now but like they were talking about you know if you were walking through your house quote unquote you don't just have one room typically there's multiple rooms because if you were to have just one room if that room were to go away then that's what i feel like you were saying right is like that's you're naked and afraid alone <laughs> with <without> clothing living <laughs> out in the street yeah and right you know, I think that's really important. And, the, and then if you continue that, what you realize is like, even identifying with any of the rooms, right at the, at the furthest reaches of the spiritual spectrum, we can both embody, like I am a woman in this lifetime, mm-hmm. have a certain identity, a raised Southern Baptist. Like I, I love all those things and I'm proud of those things, but the real identity, if you will, is actually to go beyond the identities themselves. That's right. You were the one walking through and visiting the rooms. I love that. Yeah. Like you are the seat of consciousness and you're visiting these rooms yeah. as parts of you. And I think about this too. It's like those rooms can shift and change just like yeah. we do with real rooms. And you know? let's have big rooms and big homes, like in, at least on the astral plane, right? Like I, I always love being around people that are just super surprising. Like, oh, you know, we put people in these little boxes. And as soon as you start to really converse with most everybody, you realize that human beings are incredibly complex and love and presence can like, you know, I always tell the story of my younger brother that was like, you know, went to university of Tennessee, was in a fraternity. You can imagine that sort of identity, but he has such a, a rich soul and, and a complexity. He went on my first yoga retreat with us and he was like 20 and we did a Zumba class and he was like dancing. And then we were like embodying animals. And my brother was like crawling on the cat, you know, floor, like a cat. And I was just like shocked. Like, look look at my brother. Like he's able to adapt into these different things because when we're healthy in Ayurvedic medicine, we're resilient and we're adaptable. Like mm-hmm. I can be a businesswoman one day and be a monk in a temple the next mm-hmm. and be a lover and a mother the next. And like, I think that's really a sign of health is that you could go to a cocktail party in New York and then be down on the farm with the pigs the next day. Like that's health. That's right. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I, you know, I've seen a number of clients that have come to me with this issue of not knowing who they are anymore. And it's typically women um, that have come to me at least with this issue. And, and it's typically because, yeah, they had identified so much with one of those rooms for so long. And then over time that becomes draining and not in connection with their authentic self. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think when you can have that flexibility and that curiosity and that playfulness to explore like your brother did, like all those different ways of being like that, that's just, it's what makes us, I was about to say, holy, you know, (laughs) true. And it's the opposite of contraction and solidification, which just on a more spiritual perspective lens, even though all these lenses are the same one. Right. But like the ego's job is to make things solid. And the ego hates it when things start to decalcify and liquefy and, and dissolve. And like, you know, I think one of the most challenging things to do as a human being is to let the things that we want to solidify into the most be malleable and soft. Mm -hmm. It's a very strong feeling of groundlessness. And yet in that groundlessness, you also have complete openness, Mm -hmm. right? Complete emptiness. And in that, now there's room to be able to be with my puppy when she walks in the room to see the light of the sun coming in the window to actually feel the heartbreak that might be present as a part of that story. Um, And so resistance is something that I'm really personally working with right now. Like yesterday, it was so amazing. Like I was working with my mentor and I've been meeting with her probably at least one to five times weekly for Mm -hmm. four years, five years. Like it's an intensive mentorship that I've committed to like a, a mystical Buddhist practice, if you will. And yesterday she said something to me and I started laughing because I realized she had said it to me probably 10,500 times. And she just has so much patience with me and compassion to repeat it to me over and over and over again. And you'll appreciate this. She said, well, as if it was the first time she's ever said it to me, that's love, man. Well, it's also that your perspective on this part of yourself is that you're really excited to transform alchemized of it. Mm. What if you met this part of yourself? For me, I was working with the feeling of being rejected. I hate it. It feels awful to feel rejected, especially by someone you love, right? The feeling of being rejected. Could Could you hold that and hold the feeling itself of rejection as something sacred? as actually something that has its own life and its own nurturing soil for you, that within that rejection, there's nurturance, there's soil, there's nutrition for you. And as soon as I was able to turn that perspective, that one tiny degree, mm-hmm. my whole body, my whole energy field opened. That's right. Because in that moment, you were shifting from a place maybe of being what we would call like blended with a part of you that maybe was fearful of that feeling of rejection or uh, judging that or, or wanting judging. to avoid it. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of the above. 
Yeah. And it was like, it sounds like with her making that statement, that offering, it helped invite that part to step back with that energy. And then you were able to feel that opening of self, that glow, that light of compassion. And like from in our tradition, we would say that it's the ego that's judging. It's that harmful aspect of the ego that's saying this part of you is bad. And I think that fundamental shift, if if you and I can be of any service to the world to help even one person, as you said, understand that, it, of course, like if someone comes attacks you, you need to defend your, like, we're not talking about those rare situations for most of us where you really do need to like do a, a positive or, or a, a defensive action. Mm-hmm. But in this case, in, we're talking about the inner world. I realize how much inner judgment there is around this part of me is good. Mm-hmm. This part of me is bad. If I didn't have this part, everything would be fine. Get the fuck out of here, you know? And just how yeah. much that is my ego interfacing with the wound. That's exactly when, right. When you let that other part interface with it, it's like the wound can feel that there's a loving. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, hello, thank you. I can open. I can show you myself in all my beauty and in all my scariness. That's right. That's exactly right. And that that's, that's what I love about this work is it's helping us shift that perspective from a place of being what we call like blended with and and IFS. I feel like we like we meaning like people in the IFS community kind of look at what we call the ego as like what we'd call manager parts that try and like keep everything like status quo. And like, they can be very critical, very shaming, judging, and they're trying to keep that wounded energy at bay. And if it comes forward, they're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, they get mad about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like if there's there can be that awareness and that shift in perspective of, oh, there is a part here or my ego that's like judging this wound. That right there. I mean, like it's already even just giving a little bit of space to where then you can access that that self energy within of compassion. And curiosity. And then that right there, I mean, just being with the wound in that way, like you said, can just help it shift so much (laughs) from a place of feeling shamed to a place of like, oh, wow. Oh, thank you so much for being here with me with that love. So yeah, I love it. I I just, it makes so much sense to, to me as we talk about this. And you go into talking about like the 10 principles of remembering your glow And so there were a couple of them that stood out to me that I'd like to, you know, mention, but I'm curious first, you know, how did you come to create and come to these like 10 ways of remembering our glow? Because sometimes it's easy, right? To be blended with maybe that other energy that we forget. It covers up that sunshine. I don't even remember what the 10 are. You know, when you write a book, your editors are like, Hey, let's do the 10, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, sure. People love like a (laughs) a listicle. Yeah. I can't can't even remember what the 10 are. I certainly didn't come up with them, you know, from the top down approach. I'm more of a bottom up. (laughs) Yeah. But what I, but what I can say is that there are, it's, there's a beautiful metaphor for how we get that glow to come back online. And it's, it's like they, they liken it in Buddhism to the wheels of a chariot. And the first, the first wheel is the wheel of focus. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I talk about presence a lot, just, Mm -hmm. but people get really hung up on presence in the mindfulness and yoga world, right? Like 
pay attention to your breath, pay attention to this, pay attention to the mantra, pay attention to your thoughts, blah, 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 blah. That's great. Mm -hmm. There's four wheels. And if you get too fixated in one of the wheels, it can turn into disease and imbalance. So we all know the feeling of someone that's too focused on you. They're focused on you and maybe you're super focused on your kids, but you're not bringing these other four wheels and it doesn't feel good. Just penetrating something with focus will not awaken the inner light and the glow. So the second wheel on the chariot is that warm feeling of, of kindness and compassion. It's like the good father and the good mother focus and love, Mm. right? But then there's two more so that we can think of the back wheels. The back one is chill out. It's relax. It's openness, right? Uh Humor. Like don't take this whole spiritual or therapeutic situation so seriously. There has to be this sense of openness. And that's for me, like a heart belly field. And then you have the last one, which is, this is super important. A sense of trust, faith, and hope that whatever you're doing, whatever we call it, meditation, energy work, therapy, that it's going to work, that it's transforming you, that you are a soul on a transformative journey towards Buddha mind. And so holding that is super important because I think whether we're talking about a spiritual practice or a therapeutic practice doubt is the is 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 like a killer on on the work because it can be really hard especially in cases where there's been a lot of trauma in someone's past mm-hmm. to even feel that this is even going to work one of the key messages that the brain spits out when we've had a lot of trauma is a very young brain state and it says this is how it is it will always be this way mm-hmm. and so like that fourth wheel has been really helpful for me having gone through as many of you, my fair share of gnarly stuff in this and many lifetimes before where we can get caught in these trauma loops where it can feel like there is no hope. Yeah. So those four things have been really helpful and they're not even in the book, but they are in a, in a, in a sense, uh, in awakening something that is just super innate and natural, this innate goodness, this innate mm-hmm. worthiness. That's right. And that kind of goes to the first principle of remembering. Yeah, tell, your me glow. What they are. tell me what they are, Natalie. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't, I, I could list off all of them, but I'll share with like, you the ones. Remind that's... me, Natalie, of what's <laughs> It is funny, like how many times I've interviewed people about a book they've written and they're like, did I say that? And I'm like, yeah, like I read like a passage. And they're this like, did like, I write that? Like, this is like the best interview because you've actually read the book. I mean, I've had several people that have actually read the book. Most haven't. But it's also, this is beautifully what happens when a Pitta Kapha gets together with a Pitta Vata. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't even remember that book. I'm on to the next thing. I'm flying through the clouds. And you're like, well, let's actually ground into this. <laughs> Let me read you this statement that you said yeah. in the book. So yeah, the the first one that I, that stood out to me out of those principles was you are a mirror of God. And that really just stood out to me personally, because I don't, have you ever heard of theta healing? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I came across theta healing through a beautiful woman named Tammy, and I've done a couple theta healing sessions with her. And one of the messages that I like downloaded and received was like this statement of like, I am the creator and the creator is me. And that really has been something huge for me 
And when I read that number two principle, you are a mirror of God. That's what it brought me to of like that self energy, that glow within that inner light is a mirror reflection of the creator, God, whatever we want to call it, this, you know, this greater energy outside of us, but it's also within us. As you're telling me this, I'm realizing I know exactly this list. This is the list that essentially outlines the tantric cosmology of reality. And rather than saying this is the model that outlines the tantric cosmology of reality, we changed it to something more simple. So now I know exactly which list. And I think this is helpful for people to understand the reason I put this list in the book that starts off with these ideas that you are created by and a mirror of this divine energy is that many of us were raised in religious traditions where you were a small worm created by an all-powerful God that is judging you. And so it's this radical shift around the universe, God, source, whatever you want to call it, create it, creator, is actually running through every cell of you. It is the matrix through which everything is flowing. I always tell people the, my favorite definition of God is just, you aren't the only one here, Mm. right? Like we're all here. And I, I think that list in particular helped me when I learned about Tantra to also understand that the underlying nature of reality slash God is a benevolent, unending wave of beauty, brilliance, light, and bliss. Mm-hmm. And that that is the underlying nature of reality. And then everything else, as you pointed out, Natalie, is an aberration through, we could say, a part that thinks it's helping, but going the wrong way. Yeah. We can see it in the warfare we're looking at in the world right now, right? Like if we keep you know, you meet an alcoholic on the street or a drug user, any abusive person, if you continue to follow the history of their life back to the root of the root, and we go even beyond one lifetime, right? You will find everything makes sense. Logically, we can find the way in which the aberration has occurred. And if we get back to the root, it is an unending wave of beauty, love, delight, bliss, Uh, And some people have really gone off track, right? It's not to say there are some gnarly MFers out in the world that probably should be in jail. But most of the time for us normies, um, we can really track it back in a helpful way that can also put those compassion goggles on that we can see others. They're doing their freaking best, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Another one that I wanted to mention was your number four, and that is the wound is the way turn towards our wounds with compassion Mm. in order to help invite the healing. This is a good book. Yeah. (laughs) You know, let me tell everyone. You need to read it. You need to read this book. Seriously, everyone out there listening, listen to me, write the book that you need. I chose to write this book and not the other one because I knew I'd hopefully would be on podcasts and be talking about this book. And I said, this is a book that is going, I will talk about forever because I need this medicine forever. So there's a slight selfishness in all of this. I want to share this thing about the wound in, in the Kabbalah teaching. There's a story of this uh, old wise man that people in the village who had troubles would come to. And this one young couple brought their beautiful young son who was dying of some horrible disease. And he was very, very young. You can imagine how terrible. And the healer, mystic, wise man 
did all the things, right? All the, all the herbs, all the potions, all the incantations, but basically he was bringing in all the gods and all the light and the kid wasn't getting better. And so this wise man, old wise man said, you know what? We have to bring out the big guns. And he invites in the 10 worst thieves and robbers from town. And the couple's gobsmacked. Why are you bringing in the thieves? Oh, just trust me. Get out, go take your son. And they enter into a a state together of meditation. And this man says, look, we've got to open up the doors of heaven for this kid. And I've been trying to open up the doors with Reiki and light work and sound bowls and all the therapy and blah, 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 all the light, all the prayers, all the songs. It's not working. The doors of heaven won't open. I need you all. So three days later, the couple comes back. They say, what have you done with our son? He is perfectly healthy. He's been out in the back milking the cows. He's a strapping young boy again. And he said, well, you see, it was the 10 thieves and robbers. It was the bad men of the town. They know how to pick the locks of heaven. And they picked the locks and heaven opened its gates to us. Now that is a Kabbalistic old, you know, mystical Jewish tradition that teaches us about exactly the wound is the way. Yeah. Part of you that feels like the most gnarly robber and thief of your joy is actually the part that holds the key to unlock the glow, to unlock the brilliance, to unlock the love and the light. Yes. So that really is it. You know, whatever your thing is, poverty, consciousness, unworthy, rage, death defying, you know, anger, all of these things that we all work with that we're running from, those are our thieves. And by actually inviting the thieves to the healing party, the thieves actually bring their own capacity to unlock something bigger. Mm. But you got to know how to work with thieves. You can't all give the thieves the key to the car. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. And that's, oh yeah. I love that story because again, yeah, this is making so much sense in my mind of if I was helping someone connect with a part of them that let's say was what we're calling like a, a thief, right. Or someone that holds a lot of um, maybe has had a negative impact for the person themselves and with other people, I'm guiding that person with the intention of helping them connect with that part, not get blended and overtaken with that part. Cause we don't want that part driving the bus. We want it to be present, but we want the person's, you know, seat of consciousness, their self-energy be the one drive the bus, but to be able to turn towards that part with compassion and curiosity and some space Uh to be, to be able to then get to know it, to better understand why is it there in the first place? Cause it's there for a reason. And that leads us to the wound because the biggest protectors are protecting the biggest wounds. So that makes so much sense. Hmm. That story. For any of you out there dealing with, I'm sure it's all of us, right? Like anxiety, (laughs) depression, these things that everyone feels like, oh, I'm the only one. No, it's everybody that's actually healthy. Anxiety and depression are a healthy response to what we're seeing and what we see. I have found exactly what you just said to be true, that my anxious feelings 
because that's the one that I feel the mo- mo- more than the other ones. Are, my anxiety parts, if I'm going to use your language, is actually a protector. Yeah. Oh my God. I thought anxiety was a feeling. Anxiety is protecting you from feeling. Yeah. And so when I've been able to really understand that anxiety is not actually the feeling, but a protector under, oh my God, this river of pain, this river of grief and sadness. And you can even feel me in it right now. But if you're seeing me or feeling me and hearing me, this is the feeling of relief. Mm. And, And all of a sudden grief is like, a river, as we say in Ayurveda, it's, it's the exact energy of the compassionate heart of the Buddha. Yeah. Right. And so anxiety, depression, anybody out there feeling that please get some support one-on-one read my book, you know, get, get the support that you need to be able to actually, and you know, this better than anybody. Sometimes you need that one-on-one. Oh it's yeah. Really hard to do this by yourself. We yes. have to Yes, that's exactly right. And that's what I share with every single person that comes to me for therapy is I share with them. I am seeing my own IFS therapist. I am seeing my own IFS consultant. (laughs) I, you know, parts of me are doing this podcast so I can spend more time (laughs) with people like one-on-one learning this stuff, you know? So absolutely. I mean, and that's a message that they give in IFS trainings. They're like, if you're going to be doing this work with others, you need to be doing this work with yourself because you, this is, it's just so important (laughs) to be able to have that sense of presence and to have that awareness and befriending of the parts of you that can be in the room as well. Like when you're there with someone and you're trying to hold a healing space for them, it's it's going to have an impact on that energy. And if you're not aware of what that is and who that is, then it's going to have a negative impact in some way. And I've been there, done that, you know, and it, it will continue to happen at various points in my life because we're human and things are going to get triggered and activated, but then it's on us and it's our responsibility as the individual to take that time to turn in and to turn towards that. And that's something we can do on our own, but absolutely it's, we need a guide. <laughs> we need a guide as well. Fan of therapists. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Healers, therapists, whatever you want to call them is they're so important. And you also go into how do we find the inner light and you talk about intuition listening wounds. And um, then you you go into another 10 principles for inviting the soul to return. And so I I just took note of those things, the intuition, the listening and the wounds. And I I guess I was just curious to get your any thoughts on that in terms of because you talk about like trusting your gut connected to intuition. And I guess I'm curious, how can that lead someone to finding that inner light? Well, so the way the book is laid out is a little, I mean, you could open up any chapter. It's meant to be feminine and spiral, but it's also very masculine and linear. So the first chapters are on presence and love and listening and intuition, because 
presence and love as a practice. And then, and then also energy, which is something you and I haven't gotten into yet. A lot of the work that we do in therapy, it almost every form of therapy, although it's shifting a little bit is, is still very much can be an intellectual exercise. Right. And so in Ayurveda and in the Vedic teachings and the Buddhist teachings, and in our, you know, as Westerners, even our Druidic and Celtic, if you go anywhere, you'll find these teachings on the chakras, on energy. And so we understand that we have a mental body. And you and I love that body. You and I could geek out for 20 hours about all this stuff and talk and talk and talk. And our Mm -hmm. minds get stimulated and we're activating that highest aspects of our cognition. But we also have an emotional body. That's a felt sense. That's an animal being, right? A raw core, first chakra, survival, right? Second chakra, pure emotion. But we also have an energy body. And so the interface of the intellectual body, mental chattering body, cognition body with the energy body creates this energetic force field that we call a chakra. So a chakra, as they're known, chakra are the convergence of all of the things that are stored in your memory from the past. This is all the parts, right? Right. Mm -hmm. All of the stuff that's also listen up if you've gone to sleep, largely sub or unconscious. (laughs) So it's not the stuff that you're aware of. That's a chattering box in your being telling you you're worthy or unworthy that you should Mm -hmm. take this job or not all of that chitta we call it mind matter is interfacing with your physiology is interfacing with your energy and when you get those three forces coming together you get the heart chakra or the womb chakra or the Mm. root chakra and so you know what we've seen throughout time is that different types of energies tend and should when we're healthy localized to these different parts of our bodies. So the book attempts to help us begin to tune to not only our loving energy, not only our presence, but also energy as a concept itself. And so that meeting of silence in the mind, plus that's the masculine energy, which is the feminine. Mm. When those two things, Shiva Shakti, yin and yang, Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire, Brad and Jen, Jennifer, whatever you want to call it, these two <laughs> yin and yangs, when they come together, you get creative magic. Mm. You get alchemy. You get loosening. You get mm. transformation. You get a new perspective. And so that those first chapters of the book, you mentioned trusting your gut, intuition. Well, all well and good. But if you are still identified with who you are as the cognitive, then you are not in the intuition. The intuition emerges from the heart of love and the mind field of silence. So Mm. your intuition will never tell you the wrong answer. So if your intuition's like, like I tell this joke, I was in living in Spain when I was in my twenties, I lived in Spain for seven years. And I remember this yoga studio owner or teacher. I can't even remember. I remember this beautiful yogini woman walking up the road and this other woman walking down and they were covered in their mala beads and their pretty t-shirts and their yoga pants. And one says to the other, you know, Melinda, 
I want to tell you, my intuition told me this morning that your heart chakra is totally closed. So you need to work on yourself. And I just remember everyone's heart chakra is closed down. Like it was so gross and so gnarly, right? It was the <laughs> opposite of it. So I think we bandy about that word intuition almost as an excuse to like be an asshole or do things. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like, that intuition, I really wanted to write those two chapters because it the intuition isn't going to tell you to do things from an egoic place. Right. That's right. And as you just said that story, I was like, yeah, like that maybe was coming from a part of her that was <laughs> judging maybe that other person and that was I just being said. Could, I think you could eliminate the word maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, just like, you know, vibration and frequency we could all feel it. It was right. so gnarly. And it, and Hey, I'm not thrown off on her. I just mean it as an example, I have to work with this daily, you know, of, okay, when I speak to my beloved, am I in the place of my heart right. or am I in the place of wanting to control or manipulate? Mm -hmm. And that's okay. All of us are controlling and manipulative. If you don't think you are, then please you know, right. Because you are, we yeah, are, but it takes, it takes being able to pause, right. And to do that turning in and getting curious and listening and just noticing where is this coming from? Right. Is this coming from a self-led space or is this coming from a part? And again, it doesn't mean then that if it's coming from a part that it's bad, quote unquote, it just means, Hey, do I want this part to be running this conversation? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and then I want to get to this before we end the last part three of the book, you said, how, you know, bringing your glow to life. And this is my, you know, a question I have for you is like, yeah, so how do we bring glow to life? Yeah. And I know you mentioned a couple different things in that chapter. Uh, but yeah, how would you like to share that with the listeners kind of as we come to a close today of like, how do we bring our glow to life? How do we embody the glow? Well, everything we've been speaking of is, is doing our practice, right? Like meditation, therapy, prayer, whatever it is that, you know, I call it my non-negotiables. I've got to cook for myself. I've got to eat my own food or get something really, really good. I've got to do my morning meditation and prayers. And I can give those, you know, they can read the first book. It's all about how to have good self-care, healthy, happy, sexy was, but what I all, so we have an online school for women. It's a year long program focusing in Ayurvedic medicine, but really it's like lady life school. It's like positive light mama, witch school, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in school, what I see with women, how they're bringing their glow to life can be one of the most challenging things ever. And I think a lot of women are attracted to our school because they see that me, Katie and our other 20 teachers have done it in the sense of now take all of this excitement around Ayurveda or parts work, families, like whatever it is your groove is and your passion is. And how do I get the confidence to actually show up and serve the world with this thing that's been so wonderful for me? And that's where, and it's not just women, people get stuck. It's like those inner voices of who do you think you are? to be mm -hmm. so beautiful and light filled and glowing. Like that is the number one block is that inner saboteur 
that is literally the oldest mythological story about women on the planet is Inanna. Mm-hmm. And Inanna goes down to the gates of hell. And the first thing that's asked her is who, who, whose authority do you have to come here? And I think that I used to think, oh, women have to deal with that more. And the more I've hung out with men, oh my Lord, they're fighting, they're fighting the same demons only yeah. sometimes worse than us. Cause it's all hidden and mm-hmm. taboo to even talk about. And it's that, who do you think you are? That is the antithesis of bringing the glow to the world. Because yeah. if I have a big ego, then I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to put a, a book out into the world. If I have a big ego, I'm going to hide. <laughs> and I do have a big ego, right? And I would much rather just hide. The mm-hmm. ego wants me to go into my little lady cave and never leave. Yeah. I think people think if you're marketing yourself, it's like you have a big ego and that can be true, right? We could be looking for egoic validation and that's a part of it. But the other shadow side of that is that we're looking to hide and we don't put anything out there. Right. So I think ask yourself the question, if I were fully embodied in the, what do you call it? The true energy self? What did you call it? Like your authentic self, your self energy, self self energy. Yeah. If I were fully in my self energy, what would I be doing in my life? Mm. How would I be showing up in the world? If I were free from the fear that says I'm not good enough, or guess what the shadow of the other side of that is, I'm better than everybody. Yeah. If I weren't living out those two, I'm worse than everybody and I'm better than everybody. And they, those are twins that ride on the same horse. Be clear. Like people tend to think, oh, poor me. I'm just this crappy little person, but you think you're better than someone. Yeah. We all ride that horse. And so that's been really helpful for me in breaking through some of my fears and, and seductions and, and moving the glow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, that again, it just, that all really resonates with me. And again, I feel like if we can just shift from a place of blendedness and suffering to a place of curiosity, then that fear that judgment, all of that, it, it can still be there. It's still there. It will be there. It will be there. Right. And it's like parts don't, and the belief in IFS is like parts don't go away, but they can transform mm-hmm. and they can heal. And if we can get curious and open to turning towards that, all of that that's in us, the the parts that are saying, who am I to do this, you know, or, or I'm better than that person. And Therefore, I'm not going to go hang out with them or talk to them, you or, know, or on Instagram. Hey, guys, I'm better than that person. How have they done this? And I haven't. Uh. Or, oh, I'm worse than this person. And like, we're always in this constant ranking system, whether it be on Instagram yep. or a party or your neighborhood. Right. And to like, even just notice the ranking and the labeling mm. are literally at the core of the most core Buddhist teaching stop ranking mm-hmm. and st- or notice the ranking mm-hmm. and notice the labeling. Right. And, you know, cause if you try to stop it, you'll lose, but yeah, <laughs> you saw me self-correct. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe was a part of you was like, we need to stop the ranking, you know, yeah. and, and, and totally, it totally makes sense. But it's like, yeah, let's number one, bring awareness if that's happening within for sure. Love it. So I know we got to end, but I do want to ask you this one last question. 
what is the greatest lesson you learned from reading this book that you didn't know when you wrote the book? Hmm. Well, I actually did read it because I had to read it for the audiobook and it was really emotional because to read your own book and out loud, right? Say the question to me one more time, Natalie. Yeah. What is the greatest lesson you learned from reading this book that you didn't know when you wrote the book? I think that what I alluded to in the beginning of our conversation, that I needed this book more than anyone. And that by reading it again and and feeling the teachings in this book and the relationship that I had with my teacher during the writing of this book, I knew it was a special, sweet, wonderful offering to the world that I would be proud of talking about until the day I died. Mm. And that gave me this big sense of um, pride in the best sense of that word of, and, and I'll end on this because of you. I, 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 I deleted the second, I didn't delete it. I decided not to publish the second book because when I sat with it in a deep meditative state, I realized that my completely wounded 19 year old rebellious teenager wrote that second book mm. apart, wrote the book. And when I read Glowworthy, I mean, I'm not saying some of my parts aren't in there. You'll see them, right? But mostly my, my I call it big mama loving, you know, Tara energy, this kind of Buddha mama energy, mostly adult loving self wrote the book. And so the book is a home for me. It's what I aspire to. It is the highest energy of me. And I oscillate in and out of that shit all the time. You know, I, I struggle big time in this lifetime and it's that struggle and that suffering that keeps me disciplined in the best sense of that word. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for that reflection and that, that sharing. I love what you just said of that realization of like that second book was written by a part of you yeah. and having that opportunity to pause and notice that and to realize, okay. And karmically, how great to not have to let a 19-year-old do a book tour and a 19-year-old do a PR campaign and a 19-year-old defend the book. And a 19- right. and it's those of you out there with dating, how great not to have your 16-year-old dating people, right? Yeah. Like, And they'll show up, but like, mm-hmm. they're not the ones driving again the car. And, and that feels freeing. Oh, yeah. So freeing. No more, and no more karma. You don't have to let that karmic wheel just keep creating drama because <laughs> that's, that's right. what 19 year olds do. Yeah. Yeah. And then you find yourself in the same patterns over yeah. and over and over again. And you're like, why does this keep happening to me? And yeah, we can bring awareness to that younger part of us that's there. It changes everything. And you are offering currently the opportunity for people to sign up for your Ayurveda training. That's right. We have a year long, we have a two year program, but it starts with the first year, which is its own uh, health coaching certification and Ayurvedic lifestyle counseling, nutrition. We do everything over there. Um, And yeah, it starts January 17th. So if anyone out there is interested, um, we can actually give you a code so that they can get a discount through your podcast. So we'll send that to you. Natalie and, and put it into the show notes. So yeah, it's, it's an amazing program. 
we have 20 different Ayurveda teachers. Mostly my teachers are there and also luminaries in the field of functional medicine, uh, herbalism, nutrition, witchery, tantric manifestation, sexuality. I mean, it, it, is, nice. it is amazing. Yeah. 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 We'll have to bring you on. We'll bring you in as a guest next year. I, I would love that. And your parts work is so Tantra. I mean, that's what Tantra is. Tantra is about holding all of us as divinities. Yeah. I would love that. I'd be honored. Like I, I told that. you. Yeah. I, I love talking about this stuff and I love how it just intersects so beautifully, like everything that you just listed. Right. I mean, it just all, it's all connected and I love it. I'm well, yeah, I'll put all of that in the show notes and Katie, I'm just so grateful to have spent this time with you again today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. This was an awesome talk. Thank you for uh, highlighting my book so well. <laughs> yeah. The parts of me that um, are like the steadiers and, you know, the, the geeking out about this stuff. Oh yeah. They were loving it. Highlighting all the things. So thank you for writing this. <laughs>